Welcome to Gospel Tangents, the best source for Mormon history, science, and theology. I'm Rick Bennett. I'm excited to introduce Dr. Margaret Toscano. She's a professor of classics at the University of Utah and has done a lot of work on Mormon history. You may be familiar with her. So she's really a fantastic scholar. We'll also talk about her time as both a student and a teacher at BYU and see what she thinks of that school. Check out her conversation. Hey, I also wanted to mention Dialogue Journal. They're a proud partner with us here at Gospel Tangents and have been doing Mormon history for more than 50 years. They also do things like visual and literary arts. So please subscribe to them as well at dialoguejournal.com slash subscribe. That's dialoguejournal.com slash subscribe. Now back to our conversation with Margaret. Well, welcome to Gospel Tangents. I'm here on the University of Utah campus. Could you go ahead and introduce yourself? My name is Margaret Toscano. Um, we're at the University of Utah because I am a professor of classics and comparative literary and cultural studies here, and also the de department chair of this World Languages and Cultures. But I have been working on Mormon studies since the 70s. So I've been doing this stuff for 40 years and publishing as much as I can with my other responsibilities. Well, that's awesome. I, I think I told you before the camera came on that, that Paul Reeve was my first interview, or second interview, and he was just one building over. So that's right. He works in the history department. It's great to be back at Utah. A Utah man I am. <laughs> so I got my master's degree here. So, was, But I never spent any time in either the history department or the or world religions department. or. World languages and World cultures, languages. but that includes religions, right? Yeah. 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 Sure. So, so we do religious studies in my department. I was just a math guy, so I spent all the time in the math building. So. <laughs> well, math is good. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, could you tell us a little bit about your background, especially your academic history? Uh, yes. Yeah, so um, I have a bachelor's in English from BYU. Oh, so I no. started out from BYU. <laughs> but so I've always loved literature. Uh, that was sort of my first love, being an English major. And then when I was at BYU, I got interested in um, language uh, studying Latin and Greek because I became very interested in biblical studies and I wanted to be able to read the Bible in the original languages. So I took, um, I took uh, for, well, first was Latin, and I have to, I'd like to tell my Latin students this little story that I. I, I, I was an English major and a history minor, and I had a boyfriend who I met in a history class, and he persuaded me to take Latin, and I did. Well, that boyfriend is long since gone, but Latin lasts forever. <laughs> I still teach Latin. I love teaching. I teach both Latin and ancient Greek and all kinds of courses dealing with religious topics and literary and cultural topics. I teach a big introductory uh, to classical mythology. Sometimes I'll have 250 students. Wow. So I'll teach these big classes with a lot of students, introductory classes, and then maybe I'll do a little uh, seminar in ancient Greek where I have three students. So <laughs> I go from every level. Wow. So I really enjoy teaching here at the university. The math classes are about 40 students. That's as big as we That's as yeah. I, so I never I, took the, the, the easy classes. I always took the hard ones. <laughs> well, Greek is definitely a hard class. <laughs> in fact, they say that the kind of skills and analysis that you use in studying like ancient Greek or Latin are very similar to 
to mathematical skills. Oh, really? Well, we, we do learn a little bit of Greek and math. That is true. You know, that is and true. Sigma and beta and alpha. <laughs> we, we talk all about all that yeah, stuff. Yeah, well, so. the Greeks like to claim that they invented everything, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, and I do joke with my math students, if it looks Greek to you, it is. <laughs> so. Yeah, that's interesting. Well, all right, so you got your bachelor's at BYU. And then, and then I did my master's at BYU in classical languages. Okay. So I, I, you know, I started out with literature, and then I got really interested in the ancient world, in doing biblical studies. I did some work with Hebrew, too. Um, so I finished my master's there. And then um, I got married. And sort of in that time period, I became really interested in Mormon theology and history. Um, so it was while I was at BYU in the early 70s that um, I began to meet people who were really digging up documents. I actually met Mike Quinn in like 1971. How about Mark Hoffman? I didn't know Mark oh, Hoffman. Well, that's a good thing. Probably. I know, I know. I didn't know Mark uh, at all, although... You know, I could tell you stories, but we won't go, go there, even though this is gospel tangents about a weird connection between my husband and Mark Hoffman. Oh, really? Yeah, you'd have, have to, to interview there. him about that. <laughs> but at any rate, um, so I got interested in Mormon history and theology at that same time that I was starting to explore biblical studies and really began to think about what scholarship meant and how we deal with documents and interpretation and so forth. And um, so then I, but I finished my master's in, 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 cl in classical languages. I did my thesis on Homer. I love Homer, mm -hmm. the ancient Greeks. Um, and I got married during the time when I was working on my master's degree. I taught for, at BYU for a number of years. So I started to teach there um, as sort of a, an adjunct instructor before I finished my master's. And I actually taught with BYU altogether like 14 years. Wow. Yeah. Who would have thought <laughs> so, that? No one. And actually, there's a whole other interesting story that uh, maybe I'll come back to in a second. But at any rate, so I was really involved in Mormon studies. Um, Paul and I got married. We had four daughters. We still have four daughters. Um, and I finished my master's degree, and it was about that time well, I, I finished my master's degree. It took me a long time because I got distracted by a bunch of things, including my children, right? Wrote my master's thesis during the time I had my first two babies. Um, but I was also, same time I'm doing this work on the ancient world, I'm interested in Mormon history, Mormon theology. I tried to read everything I could uh, by Joseph Smith. I was very fascinated, not so much just by the history, but about his thoughts and what he believed and what the, the ideas that he was talking about. Um, so in fact, um, when I was you know, at BYU, I must have read the teachings of the prophet Joseph Smith at least three times all oh, the wow. way through just absorbing all of these ideas. Is that Dean Jesse that wrote that book? No, that, the, the teachings of Joseph Smith was compiled by Joseph Fielding Smith. Oh, okay. He used uh, the history of the church and other documents to kind of compile. I have it here on my bookshelf, by the way, mm -hmm. somewhere. But he wanted to compile, really trying to give a Joseph Smith's theology by not just, you know, the Doctrine and Covenants or things like that, but using the uh, sermons and other recordings of what Joseph Smith said 
to get an idea, that's why it's called the teachings of the prophet Joseph Smith. So he compiled this using, uh, you know, history of the church, other documents to give this, this account of Joseph Smith's thought from the 30s until he died um, in uh, 1844. And so I was fascinated by that. I've always been really interested in ideas, philosophy, uh, theories, how we look at things, our frameworks for viewing the world. And so from my perspective, to understand the history of Joseph Smith, you also have to understand his ideas, his, his thought. It's very important for contextualizing. So I had really been immersed in that book. Um, Paul and I got married in 1978. And again, he, Paul was also really involved, and there were a whole group of us at BYU at that period who were really interested in documents and history and theology. Um, and about that period, not long after we were married, the book, The Words of Joseph Smith by Andy E. Hatt and Lyndon Cook came out. And I don't know if you're familiar with that book. No. I have it right over there, but I won't get it. Okay. Uh, but it, it's a fascinating book because they do a similar thing to the teachings of the prophet Joseph Smith that you got, and I think it was in the 30s, like 1938, and again, I could check it, but I'm probably off, but it was, I think, around the 30s, or, and then it, it had several editions that Joseph Fielding Smith put out the teachings of the prophet Joseph Smith. So in 1980, Andy Ehat, Andrew Ehat, and Lyndon Cook put out a book called The Words of Joseph Smith, where they went through the same documents that Joseph Fielding Smith had used, but they use the better primary sources. Mm. And those primary sources, when you read the words of Joseph Smith and compare it to the teachings, and again, the teachings is great for what it does, but there are ideas that come out that you don't get in the teaching. So let me give you the example of what was startling for me. So. Here's somebody who was really interested in the theology of Joseph Smith. I had just, you know, absorbed, you know, anything I could by him. And at the same time, in the last kind of really from about 1976 on, I started identifying as a feminist. Mm, Sonia Johnson? Uh, and it wasn't really because of Sonia. I have to say that for me, the two things that really... Um, made me feel like I was a feminist during that period um, was I began to see these gaps between um, men's, um, what would I say, um, not just enlarge about the sort of gender gaps between what how men were privileged over women, but within the context of the church, I began to ask questions about gender equality. Mm -hmm. And for me, it really came at that, very much from that, in that, uh, at that time from a place of believing, where I felt like, here I am, uh, a Mormon woman. I believe in God. I believe in the idea of the restoration. But I feel like that there are these inequities that strike me not just wrong, but somehow go against my own feelings of God's love and 
what I want as somebody who is committed to spirituality and to um, the sort of basic ideals of the gospel. So maybe I could just give a couple of examples. So uh, for me, it didn't start out with the idea that of kind of focusing on priesthood uh, or even the Heavenly Mother, which are two things I've written about. I think for me, it started out from the idea of and, and maybe this was, in a sense, connected with priesthood. But I think that was at, at BYU that I saw so much male privilege that as a woman, I felt like I wasn't taken as seriously as my male counterparts. I was working on my master's in classical languages. I was obviously, you know, smart and did a good job. But, you know, it was the idea that my professors were encouraging all of my male colleagues to go off and get PhDs so they could come back and be these great scholars. But I was seen as somebody where, oh yeah, you're going to get married, you're going to have children, we're not going to take you seriously as a scholar. So I think that was the first area where I felt it, was the difference in expectations or the way in which I was valued. I began to see that I didn't feel like I was valued as much as men at BYU, that um, I was not encouraged to, to write or to be a scholar or to do anything, that, oh yeah, we, we're happy to have you as a teacher, you're a great teacher, but you're going to fill this little spot in teaching until one of our male stars comes back from a big PhD program. And then, oh yeah, then they'll take your role and of course you'll be having kids so you won't care, right? right? And so that division really began to bother me. The fact that I was not encouraged, um, I felt undervalued, I felt that I wasn't taken seriously as a scholar or my even my graduate work was not taken seriously in the way that you know, men were. In fact, I have a younger brother. He and I were in the classics program together, and he was being encouraged to go out and get a PhD. You know, he had so much promise. No one said anything like that to hmm. me. Do you have a sense? Is it still that way at BYU? I don't know, you know, how much it's changed or if things are different than they were then, but certainly that was my experience then. Mm -hmm. I hope you enjoyed our conversation with Dr. Margaret Toscano. In our next conversation, we're going to talk about how Margaret felt as a scholar at BYU. And so it was that really so male, not just male-dominated, but male-centered, male-focused. Um, men's writings are important. Who cares what women do? And I felt that on a really visceral level of feeling so marginalized and so devalued in terms of who I was. And so then, because it started in that context of BYU, the scholarly world, <laughs> and then I started asking the question about the religion, as I just said, and I thought my question was, as a believer, does God really want me to be secondary to men? If you'd like to hear the entire interview uncut, Please support Gospel Tangents and become a subscriber. For just $5 a month, go to uh, patreon.com slash gospeltangents and you can hear the entire interview. And you can also get uh, transcripts available at either our Amazon website or if you want to give the money to me and not Amazon, please subscribe on my website at gospeltangents.com 
and you can click the yellow subscribe button. Of course, we're also on Facebook, Twitter, and all the other places. Uh, make sure you subscribe on iTunes at tinyurl.com slash gospeltangents. And don't forget to click here to subscribe on YouTube here for a transcript. And over here, we've got some more of our great videos. Thanks again for listening.